So um, anyway, we're talking this morning about in with the new. Y'all have heard the phrase before, out with the old and in with the new. Right, exactly. And, and what we're going to see uh, this morning is that God is wanting to do a new thing in us. God is wanting to do a new thing in us. Now, it's a common phrase that you'll hear about God. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, some have taken that scripture, it's in Hebrew, some have taken that scripture to mean God, um, God never does anything new. And that's not true at all. As a matter of fact, in just a moment, we're going to look at some scripture that doesn't say that. What that scripture is talking about, it's, it's talking about Jesus Christ, our understanding of who he is and what he did doesn't change. It's actually talking about bad theology. Because the next verse says, don't change, whatever, if you ever hear anything different about Jesus than what you've heard preached already, don't believe it, because Jesus is the same. And he'll be the same in the future. Who Jesus is and what he came to do doesn't change, amen? That's what that verse is talking about, but it's not saying that God won't create change in you. As a matter of fact, that is the very purpose of God working in you. It's to create change. We are, we are practicing for eternity. Those of us that are saved, that have the Holy Spirit within us, we are practicing for eternity. We are getting ready for, for being in his presence 24-7. It's going to be amazing. But he has to do some work on us. Okay, So we're going to learn this morning how to, how to get out with the old and in with the new. Amen? Amen. Let's look at some of the scripture that we went over last week. Now, this is recorded twice. It's in Matthew. It's also in Luke. I'm choosing Luke because of an extra verse that Luke adds, uh, which I'll show you in just a minute. But look, look along here with me. It's Luke 5, 37 and 38 is up right now. It says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Okay, just so you know, in case you missed it last week, they didn't have like bottles of wine. All right, they did. They were called wineskins, though. They didn't have like boxes of wine. That's if you're super cheap and you buy wine. It comes in a box, right? That means you stop by the convenience store <laughs> to get wine. Um, <clears throat> so what they had were animal skins. Animal skins, and you can look these up. You, you, lots of times, the smaller ones would look like a kidney-shaped animal skin, uh, almost like a canteen uh, that would that would hold the wine in it. Okay. And they were made out of different animal skins. Certain animal skins could hold really big amounts of wine. Others uh, could do just small amounts of wine, okay? And so um, what would happen is because they used animal skins, see, wine ferments over time. And as it ferments, it expands. And what happens is uh, it would, they needed a newer wine skin, a, a recently made wine skin, because it was supple enough that it could, it could uh, bend uh, and adjust to the expanding wine on the inside. You follow? So what he's saying is no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Well, why not? For the new wine would burst the wine skins, the old wine skins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. So what he's saying here is, look, if, if, if you've just created new wine and you need a place to store it, you can't put it in an old wineskin because what would happen is that wineskin over time would harden because it's now the size it needs to be for the old wine. But if you were to put new wine, the wine would begin to continue to ferment and then it would crack and it would eventually burst open. And it would not only ruin the wineskin, 
but it would also ruin the wine. Um, now, we need to be, we are the wineskins, and his wine is his presence. It's his will. It's his kingdom. It's what he wants to do in us. And we have to create our lives. And I'll show you how in a moment. We're going to go to the word and learn. But we need to be flexible. We need to be soft. We need to be ready to change as God directs. If we get too stuck in our ways, we're like that hardened wineskin. And we can't contain the new things that God wants to pour out. See, we have a tendency, and this is the next verse that Jesus says. And this is not found in the Matthew version. It's in the Luke version. He says, but no one who drinks old wine seems to want new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Isn't that true? Don't we we easily get stuck in a rut when it comes to our relationship with the Lord? We're used to him moving in our lives a certain way. We're used to him speaking to us in a certain way. We're used to reading the word. We're used to worshiping. We're used to coming to church. We're used to doing things in certain ways. And then God says, hey, I want to do a new thing in you. And we were like, eh, the old wine is just fine, Lord. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't think I really want to go through all the process of having to get a new wine skin that's, that, that, can, that can expand and, and to pour. I, I really, Lord, if you'll send me the new wine in my old wine skin, that would be great. But that doesn't work, does it? It don't work. It would ruin both the wine and the wineskin. Look, for some of us, if God were to pour out the blessings we've been praying for, it would kill us. Because we don't possess the character to handle his blessings yet. And so what we have to do is not only focus on calling down the blessings from heaven. Believe me, it's his pleasure to give us the kingdom. What we have to do is focus on our wineskins, on our hearts, and make sure that we can receive what he has for us. Guys, look, I'll be honest. I'm not okay with just fine wine. I'm not okay with the things of the Lord. Well, th- that's great. This is, that's good. This is, this is status quo Christianity. Wonderful. I- I'm not okay with that. I, I want more for me. I-, I want more for you. I want you to be walking in the fullness of what he has. Wouldn't it be awful if we got to heaven one day, we're standing before the Lord, and we saw the fullness of what he wanted for us, and we were like, why didn't that happen, Lord? Why didn't you pour out your goodness on me? And his answer was, because you couldn't contain it. You had not made yourself available for the new wine. Look, we want the new Now, I was under a mistaken, I'm not a wine drinker. I'm actually allergic to alcohol. When I tell people that, some people go, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It came in handy uh, when when I was tempted to go a little nuts earlier in my youth. But, uh, yeah, I'm actually, I'm missing the enzyme that you need to digest alcohol. Like, and if I, even if I, even if I drink NyQuil quickly, (laughs) I flush really, really badly, and I get searing pain in my stomach. It's really, really weird. Um, so I'm, because of this, I don't know a whole lot about wine. Now, I was under the impression that, that all wine is better when it's aged. And you guys have heard of wine collectors who maybe have a wine cellar, and they keep, well, this is a 85 
you know, whatever. I don't even know the words to say to describe wine. But, you know, whatever. This is, um, you know, this is this type of wine made by this manufacturer in this year. And because it's so old, it's supposed to be good. But I was doing some research, and we actually have some friends that own their own um, wine press, their vineyard. And, and I called, and I asked, and they said, um, and they confirmed what I would read, 90% of wine is meant to be consumed within a year of production. And 99% of wine is meant to be consumed within the first five years. So it's only extremely rare situations where the aged is better. But that's what we want in church a lot, right? We're like, God, no, the old way of doing things is great. It's, it's perfectly fine. Lord, why, why fix what isn't broken? Because he's got a new place to take us to. He's got a new place to take us to. Let's look at some examples really quickly. Of, of the new wine that, that God has for us. Um, let's look at John chapter 2, verse 10. Now, this is uh, Jesus' first miracle. And so it's going to be important to tell, you know, when Jesus does something, you got to pay attention, right? He's, he's demonstrating to us his heart and what he wants. So the first miracle that Jesus does is turning water into wine at a wedding. Now, I'm, not going to, I'm going to go ahead and spoil the surprise for you. The purpose of this miracle was symbolic to declare that the time of celebration is here. The Messiah is here. The new covenant is here. That it's, it's a great time uh, to partake in celebration because everyone now can be saved through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the miracle, okay? But we see something that's interesting. God makes really good new wine. Um, I could spend the whole morning on this, but basically he tells uh, the people to dip out, uh, um, dip out um, from these jars that are actually uh, Pharisaical ceremonial hand-washing jars. Um, and he says, dip out from there. And the moment that they dip out, that the water then turns into wine. And so the servants do that. And then verse 9, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, Though, of course, the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over, verse 10. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Guys, Jesus has kept the best until now. Look, I love the tradition of the church. I love the history of the church. But God is pouring out something among his people in these last days that's amazing. And it far exceeds what, we've, what our ancestors and our fathers and the generations before have experienced in the Lord. And I'm telling you, a wave of God's presence, a tsunami is waiting to come to this region, to this area, to the United States, to Georgia, to Thomasville, to our county, that's going to exceed anything we've ever seen. It's his desire to bring new wine that's the best. But we've got to be able to contain it. We've got to be able to contain it. Let's look also at Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah is really cool. At least the second half of it is. First half is kind of a downer. But the, the first half is like laying out the Lord's case against Israel, why they've done everything so, so wrong. But then around chapter 40, he changes his tune and it's, man, he starts prophesying about the coming Messiah. It's really, really good. Some of the most amazing scripture recorded is in Isaiah. So around uh, chapter 43, verse 19, he says, 
He says this, for I am about to do something new. Again, God is interested in the new. I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. He's going to make a pathway in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, by the way, is bad, right? The wilderness is where you're lost. The wilderness is where you don't know where you're going. The wilderness, there's, there are no nice hotels, uh, no, no bed and breakfasts, right? There's no IHOP you can stop at. Uh, not, it's not in the wilderness. The wilderness is a difficult place. But the Lord says, even in the difficult place, I'm going to make a pathway. See, the Lord wants you to walk through the wilderness. Most of us want the Lord to help us avoid the wilderness. Right? But he wants us, he wants to make a pathway through the wilderness. Many of you this morning are in a spiritual wilderness. And you're waiting for the Lord to change your circumstances around you to take you out of the wilderness into the city. But instead, he wants to trailblaze a pathway through the wilderness so that you can travel through and be victorious. It also says, I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Many of you are in the dry wasteland. Many many of you feel dry. You don't feel close to the Lord. And what his desire is, is for a big raging rapid to form in the middle of the desert of your life. Where there's life. Because wherever water is, there's life. Right? Water brings um, not just life for for humanity, but but, uh, animal life. That's where the fish are. And where the fish are is where we eat. Right? So the Lord wants to do these things in our lives. He's, he's looking to do something new. Again, if we're not willing to walk through the wilderness, we won't find that path. If we're not willing to be in the desert at times, then we won't see that raging river. God is good, and he wants to do something new in our lives. Amen? Amen. Lamentations, a couple chapters after Isaiah. Lamentations 3. We're going to look at 22 and 23. It says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every, every, each morning. The way I memorized this scripture was in the New King James Version. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. See, you should be very glad that God is interested in the new because you need the new. I need the new. Every single morning we wake up, every single morning we live, we need the new. And God is so faithful that his mercies are, in fact, new every morning. So we've got to embrace the new. We've got to embrace the reboot, the restart, what God, the new thing that God is doing in our lives. We have to prepare ourselves for this new wine. So how do we prepare for our wine? How do we prepare our wine skins? And, and we need to learn to embrace change is the answer. We have to learn to embrace change. I'm going to spend the rest of my time, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to look at a time when the Israelites went through some serious change. And we're going we're gonna to draw some parallels from this. And we're going to learn how it works for us, okay? Now, just so you know, at this point in time, um, all, all of Israel um, had been in captivity in Egypt. 
the Lord goes to Moses and says, hey, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Y'all know the story, right? And, and, uh, and through, through much trial and tribulation, he finally lets his people go. Um, they cross the Red Sea. And the trip on the other side of the Red Sea to the promised land should have taken around two weeks. It was a two-week journey to walk on the other side of the Red Sea to where they were going. But Scripture tells us that they were there for 40 years. 40 years. See, God was wanting to do something new in their midst, but their wineskin could not contain it. So we pick up here, we're, we're in the book of Joshua, the whole generation that had been delivered from Egypt is gone. And the new generation is attempting to enter into the promised land that God has for Israel. And let's look at a couple of things. So um, this is Joshua chapter 5. So they're traveling. It says, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan, all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. And I just, I just declare over you that when your enemies hear uh, what the Lord's done in your life, that they're just going to quit messing with you. They're going to leave you alone. And they're going to let you walk in the fullness of what the Lord has for you. Amen? Amen. Verse 2, at that time the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel. Now, (laughs) okay. Now remember, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with Israel. All right? It was way back when with Abraham. It was the physical sign of the inward change that God wanted to do in us. Later on, the Apostle Paul says, physical circumcision doesn't matter anymore. What matters now is heart circumcision. Okay? God changed the rules. So the first group that, had been, that God had taken out of Egypt, they were all circumcised. But the ones that had been born while in the wilderness had not yet been circumcised. So here they are, standing at the very gates of the promised land. I mean, they can see it. And God tells Joshua, who's now the leader of the nation of Israel, uh, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation. So he did it. Could, Could you imagine that? Flint? Flint knives? Very, very, very sharp. Yeah. I, could you imagine being Joshua walking into Bob's tent? Like, Bob, <laughs> you're next, buddy. <laughs> I mean, in all the men, think about how many times he had to do this. And think about you're in the tent, the guy in the tent next to you just had his done, and you just heard the screaming, and you know you're next. <laughs> this, I mean, these scriptures, that's just one verse in the Bible, but it took a long time. Right? Joshua had to circumcise them. This is verse 4. Because all the men who were old enough to fight in the battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. Verse 6. The Israelites had traveled into the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in the battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he swore to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7, so Joshua circumcised their sons. 
those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp, and they were healed. A couple of interesting things. First of all, the previous generation's commitment to the Lord didn't count anymore. Did it? I, you know, I don't know what your heritage is. Maybe you grew up in a family of preachers. Maybe, maybe you, you went to church every day of your life because your, your parents... You, have you heard of some people that, have, that are in church have a, a drug problem? They were drugged to church every Sunday as a kid. So, so you've got... Just, just because you have a history, just because your parents, your grandparents... There may be a lineage of godliness in your family. Y'all, look, I'm sorry, I hate to tell you, but their generation doesn't speak for yours. You alone have to make your decision. You alone have to choose to bear the covenant mark. Now, gladly now, it's not physical circumcision. It's heart circumcision. The Lord wants to do a cutting away in our hearts. He wants to cut away the flesh. He wants to cut away the things that keep us from him. He wants, he wants to be able to have a wineskin that can contain the new that he has for us. You see, maturity comes from change. Maturity comes when we allow the Lord to do his pruning work. And, and you can read about this. Jesus talks about those whom he loves, he prunes, Right? Now, you don't prune, we, we've actually, the, the, the landscaping here at VFC is pretty much out of control. I'll, <laughs> I've been talking with guys that are going to start on it next week. But, but it's the, like the, all that we have a lot of, of, of uh, shrubs and stuff around the building. And they just, they just keep shooting up. And they just keep, and we have, to, we have to cut it back, right? Now, we don't cut back the shrubs because we don't like them. We cut back the shrubs because they've overgrown their boundary. You have a flesh, and the Lord wants to cut away your flesh, your tendency to walk in the flesh. Because he doesn't like you, because he wants to hurt you? No. Because you have a tendency to go beyond your boundary. See, when, when, when the, when the, if you were to try to go into the secretary's door over there, the, the bushes have gotten so out of control, you can barely walk up the sidewalk. Barely walk up the stairs. It has made it to where there's no longer useful. And if we don't allow the Lord to prune us, to spiritually circumcise us, we won't be any good for the kingdom as well. Amen? So maturity, usefulness, it comes from embracing change. So there may be a cutting away that the Lord requires of you. But at the same time, there's also a time of healing. Verse 8, it says, After all the males were circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. God didn't require anything, any war, any fighting from them while they were healing. Many of you are, are, are coming out of times of being, of being cut, of being pruned by the Lord. And look, and you're in a time of rest. I encourage you, come, get filled. Focus on the word. Learn what he says about your situation. If you're, if you're going through a, a difficult situation, there is an answer in the word for it, I guarantee you. And you need to know what the scripture says. You need to stand on those verses. You need to speak that scripture out loud to yourself every day until you're fully healed and able to take the land that he's promised. Amen? 
Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day, which means to roll. Verse 10. While the Israelites were encamped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on that day. They first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. From that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Okay, do you guys remember during this 40-year period, the the children of Israel were uh, complaining about lack of food. So what did God do? He rained down the substance that called manna, which literally means, what is it? That's what it means. Hey, here's some whatchamacallit. They didn't have a name for it. So they called it, what is it? Manna, right? So he faithfully rained down manna on the Israelites for all this time, for years and years and years and years and years. And he fed them from his own hand. That's pretty cool. Wouldn't it be awesome just to show up at home every night, and there's a bunch of whatchamacallit on your table. Sweet, thank you, Lord. And it would fall, and they would have to gather it every day, and they would have to uh, gather enough only for that day. If, uh, and when, they, when the Sabbath was the next day, they could gather twice as much for the Sabbath, so they didn't work on the Sabbath. But then they'd go back to the first of the week. They would go back to you know, gathering daily. People tried to outwit the Lord. I know you would never do that. But they said, bump this. Why am I going to get up and gather every morning? I'm going to gather three weeks worth. But the stuff that they didn't use would immediately rot. And the Lord required them to, every morning to, in a fresh way to seek his food. Now, that's a good sermon by itself. I can't stay there too long. But that daily relationship with the Lord, our daily bread, that's what Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. Right? You can't sit back and say, well, I ate yesterday, right? How many of you ate yesterday? Raise your hand. All right, congratulations. How many of you are planning on eating today? But you ate yesterday. What are you doing? Well, you require, it's a new day, right? Look, if you read your Bible, studied, prayed, had time with the Lord yesterday, that's awesome, congratulations. You need to do it again today. You need to do it again today. It's a daily thing, amen? So what's interesting is so manna was rained down from heaven. They gathered it and collected it for 40 years. They, don't you know after 40 years, you're pretty much used to the same way of things happening, right? Every day you go out and gather manna. They'd gotten used to it. But we see what happened after, after uh, their Passover. No manna appeared on that day when they first ate crops from the new land, from the promised land. And it was never seen again. And from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops. So God changed the system of providing for his people. He's doing a new thing. He said, you've been in in a moment of transition. You've been in the wilderness. And during the wilderness, I'm going to feed you from my very hand. But now that you've come to the promised land, I need you to grow up a little bit. And and I'm not going to give you food for you to just gather. But you're going to have to partake in sowing and reaping. You're going to have to actually plant seed, water seed, learn how to harvest, learn how to till the ground and eat from your own labor. Now, is that works? No, it's not works because it's all God anyway. I mean, I can't create a seed. 
I didn't create soil. But see, God, God's event, do you see the, the progression of growth? See, change creates maturity. When God wants to pour out new wine in you, he wants to take you to a new level of belief in him. It's one thing to believe God to provide all, you know, provide manna, but it's another thing for you to partner with him and you get to choose how much you plant. And you get to choose how you harvest it. And you get to choose what you plant. Do, do you see? Do you see how he changed the rules on the Israelites? Do you see how he had new wine? It's a better place. There's more responsibility, but there's more benefit because you get a say in how you eat. See, God was entrusting to the Israelites newness of life. He was entrusting them a new way of doing things. And he had to wait until they were able to have a wineskin that could receive the new wine. He had to wait until they were willing to cut away their flesh. He had to wait until they were fully healed from that cutting away. And then he said, okay, I'm changing the rules. No more manna. You sow and reap. You plant and you harvest. Guys, God has new wine for you. He's got a new land he wants to take you to. And it's going to require some change. It's going to require that you don't get fixated on the way things have always been done before. And it's going to be required that you ask yourself the question, do I have a wineskin where God can pour new wine? Am I flexible? Will I adjust to what the Holy Spirit's telling me to do? Or have I become rigid and unuseful in this kingdom? It's a good question. Let's stand.